into your mind when I say those two words? Uh, perhaps it's the, the rom-com with its gushy ending. Perhaps it's a cynical roll of the eyes. Pff, true love, what's that? Uh, perhaps it's the agony aunt column with the trail of destruction when someone leaves to pursue true love. Or perhaps when I say true love, you're thinking of 1 Corinthians 13, this great wedding reading. Well, you probably don't think of church, though. I'll wager a good money on that. But that is what this passage on true love is written about. Uh, so we've spent the past couple of weeks uh, in 1 Corinthians thinking about church, thinking about God's new community, thinking about ourselves as Christ Church Central. Different kinds of people with different personalities and different gifts, but united together as the body of Christ. Uh, the question behind everything, though, the question that we've been thinking behind these passages and in this passage this evening is this. How does a church that is so diverse remain united? Well, the Corinthians, the people to who uh, Paul was writing in this letter, the Corinthians thought that it was by doing things. Uh, and I wonder if we perhaps think something similar. You know, we can be united if we have better programs, if we have better strategies, if we have better organization or better Bible teaching. Uh, the Corinthians, they seem to think that everyone needed to be the same, all doing the right kind of things. For them, it was speaking in, in tongues. But here, in this passage, God brings through the writing of Paul, do you see it down there at the end of chapter 12, the very last line of chapter 12? God here brings a still more excellent way, and it's the way of love. Ultimately, as we're going to see time and again in this passage, ultimately God says it's not what you do. It's how you do it that matters. Uh, it's something we're going to see again and again. Uh, this evening, we're going to see three wonderful things here about love. First, we're going to see that it's supreme. Second, we're going to see that it's permanent. And thirdly, that we're going to see what love looks like. And the implication of all of this, the implication of where everything is going this evening, is there in chapter 14, verse 1. Do have a look over the page, page 960. Chapter 14, verse 1, the first two words of that chapter pursue love. That's where this whole section is going. That's where we're going this evening. That's the, the challenge for us as a church is to pursue love. But we need the Lord's help as we get into this passage. So let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that uh, in the same way that when you spoke in the very beginning, all of creation came into existence. We pray that this evening you would speak through this passage, that you'd speak through my words and that you'd speak to us and that you would create new life in our hearts, that you'd create more love for you in our hearts and more love for each other. Amen. So the first thing that Paul says is there in uh, chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, uh, bottom of page 959, and it's this. Paul says, love is supreme. 
The way that you do things matters more than what you do. Now, look, it's not that serving and helping aren't important. Uh, We've seen again and again, haven't we, over the past two weeks, that we're to use our gifts to serve others. The Holy Spirit has given us those gifts, chapter 12, verse 7, for the common good, for the building up of the church. That's what chapter 14 will go on to say. Uh, So the gifts that we've been given are good, but the point is, without love, They're pointless, they're empty, they're useless. And that's not the way we tend to think, though, as Brits, is it? Uh, In British culture, if you're British, you'll feel this probably in your heart. Uh, In British culture, we think that, that when you're helping, as long as you're helping, it doesn't really matter what's going on inside you. So long as you help, we tend to think as Brits that actions are more important than emotions. But that's not what Paul is saying here, is it? Have a look down at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. Uh, chapter one, uh, sorry, verse 1 says this, if I, if I have the most impressive and miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues or prophesying, if I can do the most impressive things like that, but don't have love, do you see it down there? I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm nothing. Uh, look again at verse 2. If I have, uh, sorry, if I, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have the, the greatest theological mind, if I'm never flummoxed when my friends ask me difficult questions, if I, if I lead the best Bible studies, if I preach the perfect sermon, sermon, if I don't have love, then I'm nothing. Uh, Here's something astonishing. Have a look down at the final bit of verse 2. Have a look down there. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Well, Jesus said that faith as small as a mustard seed would move mountains. But here Paul says if I have not just a mustard seed, but if I have all faith, I can not just move but remove mountains. This is an astonishing amount of faith here. Faith in the most extreme unimaginable amount if I have that much faith but don't have love then I'm nothing uh, look over the uh, look down at uh, verse 3 bottom of the page there if I give away all I have if I give vast amounts of money to church and charity if I take in a, a, a lodger rent free if I regularly show hospitality if I do all that but don't have love Do you see down there? Then I gain nothing. Look down again at the second half of verse 3. If I deliver my body up to be burnt, now, probably not a risk for many of us, but we do act in self sacrificial ways, don't we? If I sign up for all the rotors, if I say yes whenever I'm asked to help, if I serve in all the ministries, if I do all that but don't have love, then I gain nothing. Love isn't just the cherry on top of the cake. Good if it's there, but not a problem if it's not. Love is the main thing. In God's eyes, the way you do things matters matters more than what you do, even if it's the most amazing thing that you're doing. 
this passage is saying to us that without love, we're, we're wasting our time at best. We're being destructive at worst. What goes on in our hearts is of utmost importance. God says love is supreme, so pursue love. Now, the question that this section asks us is this. I think it asks us that if we're serving, if we're giving or if we're leading, and we find that for an extended amount of time that we're doing it without love, you know, perhaps we're feeling resentful, perhaps we're feeling bitter. Well, this, question, this passage asks us the question, do, do we need to take a break from doing things so that we can focus some serious time and energy on trying to regain that love? Because the way we do things matters more than what we do. That's the first point. The second point is down there at the end in verses 8 through to 13. And it's this. Paul says here that love is permanent. And in this final paragraph, it's, it's really easy to get sidetracked by a really good question. And the question is this. When do certain gifts stop? It's a great question. But it's not the main point of that passage, of that, that section there. The main point is this. Love is permanent. Love never ends. Do you see it down there? Verse 8, the very first three words in verse 8. Love never ends. But all the gifts that we've been given, all the miraculous ones, all the everyday ones, they're not permanent. They're for now. They're good and useful, but they have an expiry date. But love won't. Love never ends. I wonder, do you see how that radically changes the way that we think about ourselves and about each other, about using our gifts, what we aspire to be as a church family. I think it stops us comparing. I think it stops us being resentful. I think it stops us being pushy. Love never ends. And the gifts that we've been given, they're given to us by the Holy Spirit for the common good. But when the Lord Jesus returns, uh, verse 12 of chapter 13, when the Lord returns and we see him face to face, those gifts suddenly will become useless. They won't be needed. They'll have done what they needed to do. And so they'll pass away. Even the greatest, most miraculous spiritual gifts have an expiry date, along with, with everything else, the, the, every other gift the Spirit has given us. But love will remain, along with faith and hope down there at verse 13. Do you see how this radically changes the way we think about church? It's not mainly about what we do. It's about how we do it, about how we relate to each other, relating with love. Love is permanent, so we're to pursue love. Now that's all well and good. You may be sitting there thinking, Tim, that's great. Love is supreme. Love is permanent. That's really good. But what is love? What is it? Well, have a look down with me at verses 4 through to 7. Love is love, says the placard. We'll be seeing that out on the streets in the coming months. Love is love, which isn't that helpful when you're trying to think about what love is. Those signs, those slogans, they, they say love is love, but they mean love is whatever I define it to be, which is really, really attractive, isn't it? Isn't it great to think that we can define 
what love is. And yet this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, is actually still the, the, the single most read out passage at weddings. So clearly we do want a voice to speak into, it, into our situation and tell us what love is. And it's, it's easy to see why it's read out so commonly at weddings. It's an incredible description of love. And we would all love to be loved like this. So let's have a look and see what it says. The first thing about love is down there in four, the first half of verse 4. Love is other person centered. Love is patient. It puts up with other people without complaining, without lashing out. When you're treated badly or when people are different, are different to you or difficult, love is patient. Imagine being loved like that. Love is kind. It's not just patient in the face of badness. It actually goes out of its way to show goodness. Not just kind to those who are easy to be kind to, but kind to those who it's costly to be kind to. Second, verse 4 and 5, love doesn't compare or compete. Love doesn't envy. Do you see that down there? Rather than being jealous of someone else, love celebrates them, serves them. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't brag and point to how it's better. Love isn't arrogant. It's not puffed up by who it is. Love isn't rude. It doesn't shame others, but treats them with respect. Love doesn't insist on its own way, but, but puts others first. Love isn't irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but it shows grace to others. Do you see down there in verse 6 the things that, that love enjoys? Do you see it down there, verse 6? It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't enjoy other people's suffering or misfortune, but it rejoices together with them at the truth, rejoicing in goodness. Fourthly, do you see the, the totality of love? It's down there in verse 7. Love bears all things. It acts like a roof. It acts like a roof, keeping out, not the rain, but keeping out bitterness, keeping out nastiness from creeping in. And it protects that loving patience and kindness inside. Love believes all things. It seeks out the best in every situation. It assumes the best. Love hopes all things. It hopes for the best for others, cheering them on and not wishing misfortune upon them. And love endures all things. It does all of the above through the worst of situations. Can I ask you, wouldn't you love to be in a community where that kind of love is shown? Wouldn't it be incredible? And can you start to see how this kind of love allows a church to flourish in its diversity? Well, what does love look like? It looks like all of the above. But ultimately, it looks like Jesus. You see, God is love. We've seen that, haven't we, before Christmas in 1 John. And that's why love is greater than faith and hope. The greatest of these is love. That's verse 13. It's greatest because God is love. 
I wonder, do you remember the time when Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4? She was an outcast. She was the wrong ethnicity. She had a dubious history. No one wanted to spend time with her. That's why she went to the well in the middle of the day. But Jesus was patient and kind towards her. Jesus doesn't envy or boast. He's not arrogant. He's not rude. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus isn't irritable either. Have you thought about that? Jesus isn't irritable towards us. He's not resentful towards us. On the cross, when people were nailing nails through his hands, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, friends, what does love look like? Well, we're to look to Jesus. Love is Jesus-shaped. That's our third point. And the point of all of this, as I've said at the start, is is there in chapter 4, verse 1. As a church, we're to pursue this Jesus-shaped love. We're to try and do it in everything we do. And isn't that so hard? Isn't that so hard? You see, it's, it's easy to love people who are easy. But what about when we're hurt? What about when others are difficult? This kind of love feels impossible then. And that's our fourth point that we're going to see now. Is this kind of love even possible? You see, we can't just fake it till we make it. That applies in lots of situations, but it really doesn't hit because verses 1 to 3 say you can't fake it till you make it. If you don't have love, you don't have love. You're nothing. So we can't fake it till we make it. So how on earth are we supposed to do this? How on earth? Well, the the wonderful message of Christianity is this. Jesus Christ came into the world, why? To save sinners. Jesus Christ came into the world to save people who can't do this kind of love. To save people like us, people like me, people like you. Jesus is patient, isn't he? Rather than getting angry with me when I fall short, he's patient. He shows grace. Jesus is kind. Rather than giving up on me when I fall short, he died on the cross for me. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's our verse for the year. We saw it before Christmas, 1 John 3.16. And that is how we're saved. We're not saved by, by us trying harder and being able to live this perfect chapter 13 life of love. We're saved because Jesus did. We're safe because he's done it. And because he died on the cross, we're washed clean of all of the times that we failed to do this. We can only love because God first loved us. If you're taking notes, that's 1 John 4.19. And that's the principle here. That's what we saw time and again in 1 John before Christmas. Uh, Jesus loved us when we were unlovely. When we were unlovable, Jesus loved us. When our hearts were twisted inwards, Jesus loved us. Jesus' love is patient towards us, showing grace and kindness towards us. And as we see his goodness, as we see his grace and love towards us in our sinfulness, our icy hearts, what happens to our hearts? They slowly melt into love towards him. We start to see his love. We start to see his goodness. We start to see his patience 
and his kindness with us, the way that he doesn't get irritated with us when we mess up. Isn't that a really astonishing thought? When we mess up, Jesus doesn't get irritated with us. We start to see the way that he doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't get envious, but he moves towards us with hands open wide, hands with, with nail holes in them. And as we see all that, we, we find that our hearts start to rise in relief. Even though I've messed up, Jesus still loves me. Isn't that an astonishing thought? We find ourselves loving him. We find ourselves loving his love. And we find ourselves slowly starting to take those baby steps of love that we've read about this evening. We can, we can choose to be patient and show love to other people when we're hurt by them because Jesus does that to me all the time. We can choose to be kind and show love to that difficult person because Jesus does that to me all the time. And when we fail, when we fail to do those things, we remember that he is patient and kind. And I can show myself grace and start over. Do you see how this kind of love can start to snowball and snowball and get deeper and richer? Ultimately, it's not what we do that counts, but how we do it. May God make us a church that loves each other like this. We're going to take a few moments of quiet. What does what has the Lord been laying on your heart this evening? What's he been laying on your heart? And how do you need to respond to him? We're going to take a few moments of silence and then the musicians will lead us in our next song. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you and we confess that we can't do this. That as great as this love is, we cannot do it in our own strength. We confess that we fall short all the time. We fall short even now. And so we are so grateful for the Lord Jesus. We're so grateful for the way that he's patient with us. We're so grateful for the way that he's kind and shows grace to us. And as we realize the grace that we've been shown, would our hearts melt? And would we be able to love others in the way that we've been loved by Jesus? Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand.